This week's parsha is Parshas Va'era, and we're going to just uh, have a shorter shmuz today. Just uh, just wanted to share a, an idea with you. Uh, that's very nagay. I think the times that we're living in uh, seems that the uh, situation in the world is uh, once again uh, snowballing, and we don't exactly know uh, where it's heading and what's going on. And I uh, just want to point out something from the parsha that I think might be uh, might be important for us to think about. By the maka of Dever, which is the fifth Maka, it's uh, Dever means an epidemic, and there's a, uh, a warning that Akedus Baruch Hu sends to Paru through Meishe Rabbeinu, in which he says that I'm going to send a Dever, I'm going to send an epidemic, a plague of uh, of death, to all of the uh, animals of Egypt, and I'm going to separate the Jewish animals from the Gaiish animals. And then he says, Vayasim Hashem Mayed Lamar, and Hashem is setting a time. It's not going to happen right away. It's not going to happen today. It's going to happen Machar. Machar Yeyasa Hashem Hadavar Hazeb Aritz. Hashem is going to do this tomorrow. And the question that the Mepharshim grapple with is why did Akadish Baruchu give them this extra window of time? What was the what was the point in them having a, let's say, a 24-hour uh, time limit before the plague starts? So the Mepharshim uh, speak about different ideas, um, and the one that I wanted to uh, speak to you about this morning is one which is actually shared by the Nitziv and also by the Meshachachma. The Nitziv says that the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says Machar, it's going to happen tomorrow, is Yisrael. In the meantime, Klal Yisrael will be able to buy the cattle of the Egyptians on the cheap. The Egyptians know that there is going to be, uh, all their cattle are, are going to be destroyed. And so they figure, listen, what's the point of us holding on to the cattle? We see the handwriting on the wall. We see the last four makas. Meish Rabbeinu called it exactly. And there, when he said there was going to be dam, there was dam, and Svardeya, Svardeya, Kinem, Arav. Everything that he said happened. Now there's going to be a plague in our animals. So they're all going to die What's the point of them anymore? So they're going to sell them bizarre. They're going to send the, sell them cheap to the Jews. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them a window of time. Machar. By tomorrow you're going to have to do something with your animals because tomorrow is when, the, when this Makkah is going to begin. And so therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them time so that they could sell their animals at distressed prices at fire sale prices to the Jews. And the Meshachachma says exactly the same thing. He says that this is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that the Mikna Yisrael, nothing will, will die, but only the Egyptian Mikna will die. And it is Kaveya Zman, Kedeshi Maspik Zman Biyara Mitzim Limkar Bemtam Mizol Yisrael, same exact Lashon Kimat, that the Jews should have a chance to buy up the animals of the Egyptian on the cheap, and this is uh, what it exactly did happen. 
And in fact, the Nitziv points out that this is where the Jews had so much cattle. When they went out of Egypt, it says that they left um, they had a, a tremendous wealth, an abundance of sheep and cattle. Where did they get all this from, the, the Jews? The answer is that they bought it now. They bought it from the Egyptians when uh, right before the Makkah of Dever and that window of time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave in order for them to sell their animals to Kal Yisrael. The point that I wanted to take from this simple uh, understanding of the Nitziv and the, and the Meshachachma, this beautiful understanding, but I think there's a very profound lesson to be taken. The Egyptians, as we know, worshipped cattle. This is said many times in Chumash, and there's so many uh, applications, but um, the, that's why when they went down to Mitzrayim, they had Eretz Geishen, because the Egyptians shouldn't see them herding cattle, because it was, very, uh, it, w- it was very distressful for Egyptians when they saw Jews involved in cattle, because cattle to them was their Avedizara. So you don't lead cattle, and you don't uh, make a business out of cattle. This is Avedizara. This is we, we bow down to cattle. We worship cattle. And, uh, and this is why Klal Yisrael told Parai that we're not able to worship and do uh, sacrifices in Egypt, we have to go out to the Midbar to do it. When Moshe Rabbeinu keeps asking for a three-day uh, hiatus, that all the Jews should leave Egypt for three days to worship their God and to sacrifice them. So Paris says, well, why not do it here? Stay local. Why do you have to go out to the... He was afraid that they would leave and they would never come back. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, 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 we can't do that because in Egypt they're going to stone us to death. If we start shechting cattle in front of them, they're going to kill us. We know Shabbos Hagadol. The reason why we uh, why we celebrate Shabbos Hagadol is because that was the Shabbos on which Klal Yisrael took the the animals for their carbon pesach, and the Egyptians watched them take the animals for their carbon pesach, and they didn't say anything. And that was a very big miracle because the Egyptians were very attached to their animals. But what we see from this, from these words of the Meshachachma of the Nitziv, is that. Although they bowed down to Avedizara, they worshipped Avedizara, but yet at the same time, when at the end, when they saw that their Avedizara was threatened, that the animals were about to die in Makas Dever, so what they do? They didn't start davening to their animals. They didn't start, you know, saying our animals are going to get us out of this mess. There's no way that God is going to be able to save uh, to to. to to perpetrate this terrible uh, devour against our animals, our animals are godly. They didn't say that. All they did was say, oh, uh, does anyone want to buy, anyone interested in buying an animal? I got one cheap. In other words, when Avedizara, when Gayim have their Avedizara, but then they're threatened, and there's something that's imminently looming uh, in terms of uh, what's going to be with their Avedizara, they don't really have that faith and confidence to the very end in the Avedizar. Once they see that there's already something about to happen, they're very, very quick to throw their Avedizar under the bus, as it were, and to, to sell a bazaar. What was yesterday the most hush of a thing in the world, this is my Avedizar, we bow down to these animals, these animals are, are precious to us. All of a sudden, when it comes to realizing that, okay, well, tomorrow they're going to be worthless, anyone want to buy uh, 10 cents on the dollar from my Havai Dezara? 
meaning the amuna that a guy has in the Avedizara is not really that strong. It's good when things are good, you know, they have something to believe in, they have something to trust in, but when things turn sour on them, when something changes, then they're very quick to, uh, to have a change of heart and to be willing to sell it, even bizarre, to cheap, for cheap. It wasn't, they didn't even make a lot of money on it. They were willing to just sell it for nothing. We find this, by the way, also in Sefer Yaina. In Sefer Yaina, which is a very short Sefer, I think it's the shortest Sefer in all of, in all of Tanakh. It's very, very few amount of Psukim. We lane it, of course, on Mincha on Yom Kippur. And the reason why we lane it on Yom Kippur is because Yaina was a Navi that tried to run away from Hashem. Hashem sent him a Nevuah to go and tell Ninveh to do tshuva, a city of Gayim to do tshuva, a very big city of Gayim, but Yaina was afraid that the Gayim would actually listen to him, do tshuva, that would reflect poorly on Klai Yisrael, who were, very, uh, who, who were not always so quick to do tshuva, and he starts running, and he runs into the, on a boat and on a ship, and he goes into the high seas, and he thought that the Nevuah would end there. Of course, it didn't, and in the end... Uh, they threw him overboard, he landed in a fish's mouth, they spit him into another fish, eventually that second fish spit him onto the shoreline of Ninveh, and he was left with no choice but to give over the Nevuah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Ninveh. And the Mishnaburah says in the Shari Tzion, on the bottom of the Mishnaburah, that we learn from there a, a very major lesson, and that's why it's a Yom Kippur lesson, that you can run away from Hashem, but you can never, you can never really escape. You might think that you're running away from God, but you can't really do that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always here, and if you can't finish your mission this world, you'll come back again as a Gilgal, again and again, but you have to do your mission. Yaina thought he could escape his mission, but alas, he saw that he wasn't able to run away from Hashem. He thought he could, but he couldn't, and that's the lesson, lesson of Yom Kippur. Do tshuva, get it right, don't think that you could escape, don't think that you could shirk your responsibility in this world, you got to do what you're supposed to do, and do it, the, do it right this time, so you don't have to come back again and again, and try it all over again. So in Sefer Yaina, it says, and right at the beginning of the Sefer, Perak Aleph Pasakei, he was on a boat with many Avdeh this ship that he went to, to get away from Eretz Yisrael, to hopefully stop his Nebuah from occurring to him, was full of Avdeh Chazal tell us, that there was a representative of each of the 70 different types of Avedizaras that there are in the world. There are Shivim Umas and every one of the Umas has their own unique Avedizara. Every single Aved Avedizara, every garden variety of Avedizara, were on this boat together with Yaina. What happens? The boat starts tossing and turning, and it was Chashvali Shaver was about to capsize, and they all knew that this was the end. So what did they do? What did all of these from Avdeh Avdezara do? Pasuk says, Vayatilu es ha-kelim asher elayam l'hakom They took their kelim, which simply means they took their stuff that was heavy. They wanted to lighten up the boat. They thought that maybe because the boat was so, so bottom-heavy that they should maybe unload the cargo, and that would buoy the boat, make it rise a little bit and maybe make it safer. So Pashtas means they threw off all their camp trunks and all their duffel bags and all their right, all that heavy stuff. They to lighten it up from them. 
But if you look in the Targum Yainasan, the Targum Yainasan says on that Pasuk, Ubo Givar Mindachalte, Vechazare less behind Sreich. Every single man on the boat, they looked at their idols and they saw that there was no purpose in them anymore. They saw that they were useless to them. They were about to die. The handwriting was on the wall. They saw that these Avedazars that they had were not doing anything in terms of saving them. The Ramu Yasmanya de Beilfa, Liyama Laakala Minhain. They each took their kalim. What does kalim mean? Kalim doesn't mean their suitcases. Kalim means they took their precious idols that they were worshiping and they were bowing down to and they were, and they were telling everybody that their Avedazar is so gewaldic. It's amazing. You know what they did? When the boat was about to go down, they didn't get from her. Their Avedazar did not strengthen and they didn't go down with the Avedazar, but rather they threw it off the boat. They took their personal idols and they chucked it into the sea. They said, this is useless. It doesn't, obviously, if, they were, if it was really powerful, it would save us. It didn't save us, so let's get rid of it. Exactly what the Mitzrim did in Mitzrayim, the same exact pattern that, and it's interesting to note, by the way, not that this is really directly Nagea, but the king of Ninveh, who galvanized them to do tshuva, happened to be uh, Paroi. Chazal say that that Paroi didn't actually drown in the Yamsuf. He survived and he, uh, he actually made another appearance in Tanakh as the king of Ninveh, which is fascinating and uh, we're not going to have time to go into that uh, today or we're not going to go into that today, but uh, there is a lot of parallels between Ninveh and Mitzrayim. But anyway, but we see from here that there is this, this pattern that we find in Tanakh that when a person is Eved Avedezara, even though they believe in the Avedezara, they really do. But when times get tough, instead of continuing their belief and understanding that this is real, they see, because maybe they always knew on a certain level that it was fake. And so when things are going good, okay, we might as well worship this Avedezara, but when things are not so good, when times get tough, when there's crisis, then they sort of take their Avedezara and they're very easy to sell it on the cheap, or to throw it away. A yid is different. Yidin have the exact opposite relationship with their God. Klal Yisrael, throughout history, this is something that happens time and time again, from the beginning of, of Klal Yisrael, from Avram Avinu and Orkastim. Avram Avinu had a choice to make. He could have said, to, uh, to the Melech of Orkastim that, uh, you know, you're right, I'm not going to be thrown into a fire for, for Hashem. I'll rather just, you know, I'll be Eved Avedezara, I'll bow down to your statues, I'll apologize to my father for, for destroying all of his statues, all of his idols. That's what a guy would do. A guy would say, listen, I'm, I'm not going to die for this, this is crazy. Avram Avinu was Meiser Nefesh to go into her costume, understanding that to the end there's a Rabbi Shalom in the world. There's a Rabbi Shalom in the world. I think they say a Meisa about the, uh, the, the, the Rayats, who was uh, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe before the, 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 the last Lubavitcher Rebbe. So he was in Russia, 
and there were he was always like spreading Yiddishkeit even in communist Russia and they they always you know he was imprisoned and they always uh, he was his life was always in danger but he was Meister Nefesh for, for for teaching the Dvar Hashem and so one time he was being interrogated by this very nasty communist Soviet officer and he was trying to get information out of the Rebbe whether or not he was uh, he was spreading Tyra and where he was spreading Tyra to whom he was spreading Tyra and he wouldn't talk he would not budge so the officer takes a, a gun out of his pocket and puts it on the table in front of the riots and says and he doesn't say it was like a veiled threat like if you don't talk this is what's going to happen to you so the story goes that it's a legend that the uh, it's a true legend, but it's a legendary story that that the Rayat said that that what you just put on the table doesn't scare me. He says that that might scare a person with one world and two gods. I mean, if you believe in multiple avedizaras and you only believe that this is the one world, this there's only one world, there's no afterlife. That might be a threat. He says, but to a Jew that has one God and two worlds, it's not a threat. We don't care. It's not, you know, so you're going to kill me? I'll just get a bigger Eilamabo. The belief that Klai Yisrael always has in the Rabbani Shalom actually hardens, it strengthens in times of crisis. And we find this constantly, whether or not it's back Hedas Yitzchak, or whether it's during um, all of the, uh, the Makkas and Mitzrayim, or during the times of Hanukkah or Purim or during the times of the Inquisition, or during the times of, of Tachvatat, the, the Crusades, the, uh, uh, the pogroms, the Holocaust, the millions of Yidin that died with Animamin on their lips and Shema. We don't weaken when things get hard. A Yid doesn't say, well, you know what, maybe he doesn't exist, God, and let's do, uh, let's, 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 you know, just drop it and go elsewhere, find a different, find a different religion. A Yid doesn't do that. A Yid's faith in the Rabbani Shalom gets stronger and stronger the more the heat gets turned up on him. The more the pressure and the stress and the challenge gets intensified, the Yid gets stronger in his Amunah. That's the way a Yid operates. Rameyar Shapiro used to say that, who was the founder of Chachmi uh, Lublin and the founder of Dafyami, he used to say that the reason why uh, Klal Yisrael eat on Seder night, or at least we put on our Seder plate a hard-boiled egg. What's the significance of an egg? And of course, there's a hundred reasons to put an egg on the Seder plate, but the, his shot was that an egg symbolizes a Yid. How does an egg symbolize a Yid? Because all other things, all other foods, when, when you cook a food, what happens to it? It generally gets hard, it gets softer. If you take a, if you take a, um, I don't know, an apple, and you put it in the oven, or you put it in a, in a pot, and you cook it, or you bake it, what happens to the apple? It gets soft. It gets softer. And the same thing is true for potatoes, and the same thing is true for meat. Whatever you take and you put under, on top of a fire or in a fire, it gets it gets softer and softer. The exception to that rule is an egg. An egg. The more that you cook an egg, you put an egg in, it go, what happens to an egg? The insides go from being liquid and it solidifies. It becomes a hard-boiled egg. You peel a hard-boiled egg after it's cooked in water for a couple of minutes and all of a sudden now you're able to eat it like a, a hard egg, not a soft egg. It's a strange thing. Why, do, why does that happen? He says, that's a yid. 
That is what a yid is. A yid is somebody that when you turn on the fire and you turn up the fire and the challenges are greater and you get hotter under your collar, things are, are very scary, a yid doesn't go soft then. A yid doesn't say, uh, you know, I don't know what, what to do, maybe Hashem doesn't exist. A yid gets harder. His amuna gets stronger. And that's why Klai Yisrael was chosen, by the way, as the nation, as the chosen nation of all the nations in the world, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that of all nations, you're the one that shows that you could love me, even when all other nations would have abandoned me much earlier, you stick it out with me. You're willing, a Yehudi Aitzalov, Chazal say, you, you, when you're given a choice between maintaining your Yiddishkeit or being hanged, meaning you're going to be hanged if you maintain your Yiddishkeit, or you have the option to convert or to do something else, you will always, you will always take the option of staying a Yid and dying Al-Kiddush Hashem. I and Sidi Ramban on the Pasuk of Ki'atem Hama'at Amim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I chose you. It's a beautiful Ramban. Ramban says that how does a person choose whom to love? When you're dating somebody and you want to choose, you want to see if, uh, if this girl is marriageable material for me. Can I, should I marry her or not? So what's a, a major, a major uh, litmus test to see whether or not she's good for you? Obviously, you want to check off all the boxes that, you know, that she has, uh, um, you know, she's a good girl, she has good media, she's from, and she's happy, and she's attractive, and she has, you know, she has this mile, that mile, whatever you're looking for. But the, of all the milas and all the midas and all the, the requirements, the main requirement, says the Ramban, is that you're able, she's able to be civil you. She's going to be able to tolerate you. Because all the other things are great, but it might be great for somebody else. But is she able to tolerate you? Meaning, does she, does she, is she going to be able to, is, is she going to be able to, uh, under stress, deal with your things, with your mishigasin, with your challenges, with your, with your issues? If you have issues, whatever they may be, is she going to be able to deal with those issues or not? Because if she can't deal with the issues, then it, the whole thing doesn't start. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that that's why I love Klal Yisrael, because I know that they could be on me. In order to be God's chosen people, you have to be able to put up with a lot. A lot of anti-Semitism, and a lot of hate, and a lot of stress, and a lot of, a lot of tension throughout history. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew about Klal Yisrael that you are a nation that could tolerate me. That you'll go through thick and thin, you'll go be'eshu b'mayim for me. And because of that, that's what is unique about Klal Yisrael or all the other Umm Asylum. The other Umm Asylum, they might be wonderful people, but in terms of their commitment to the end, they don't have that. And we see that many, many times, that they don't really have complete faith until the end. They, they basically are very quick to, to, to drop their Avedizara when it's, not, when it's no longer uh, expedient for them. Klal Yisrael is different. Klal Yisrael sticks it out through to the end. And that's what makes us the special, unique people that we are. There's a Gemara in Baba Basra. The Gemara in Baba Basra says in the Afyidam Abayz that if a person says, Sela A person, Rahman al-Sun, has a sick child and he says, I'm going to give $100 to Tzedakah on the condition that my son survives this machla. 
So, so the Gemara says, Harezet Sadagomer. What you did was an act of righteousness, or some have the Girsa Harezet Sadaka Gemura. It's a good Sadaka, it's good Sadaka. And the Gemara then qualifies that, that it's Dafka by a Yid. If a Yid says that I'm giving a sell to tzedakah, that's a good tzedakah. So Rashi says, because a yid has kavana lishma, whether or not the child survives, meaning if let's say chasusham, the child ends up dying, the tzedakah that I give, I'm still happy that I gave. It's irrelevant. I'm giving tzedakah because I'm giving tzedakah. I, but your child died and you made it contingent on the fact that your son will... A yid doesn't care about that. Why? Because he doesn't question God. Whatever Hashem doles out to him is good. But by a guy, it's not the same. It's not the case. It's not an act of righteousness. It's not an act of tzedakah. If he says, because he's only giving it that his son will survive. But if his son will die, he will be mischarit. He's going to have regret that he gave that hundred dollars to tzedakah. That's not a good tzedakah. What do we see from this Gemara as well? What we see from this Gemara is that a yid is not concerned with the outcome. A yid trusts in the Rabbi Nishlam regardless of what happens. Whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides, I'm putting my full faith in him. Ah, but your son just died. And you, yeah, okay, he died. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided that. The tzedakah was given l'shma. I don't, I don't base my entire religion on results. I trust to the end in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A guy is different. A guy bases everything on the end result, and if it doesn't produce the result that you wanted, then he says, okay, then it's not, it's not for me. This whole act of Abayda wasn't for me. What I wanted to just take from this Ha'ara is, is just a little bit of, uh, of inspiration, a little bit of chizuk, for the, uh, for the period of time that we're living in, you know, we thought that after 2020, uh, after the original, initial, terrible kufa of corona, that we thought now we were out of the woods and everything started opening up again, Baruch Hashem, and yeshivas were open, and the shuls were open, and, and, and we sort of, uh, I don't claim to understand the, what, what Hashem wants here. I don't, I don't know. And there might be a lesson for us to take the fact that it's, it's getting more and more difficult again and the cases are surging, spiking, um, and we're being shut down here in yeshiva. So there's a lot of challenge that we're going through. I don't know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is bringing it back. I'm hopeful that maybe this is a way to have herd immunity so that we can once, once and for all be done with this machla. That's my, that's my theory, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing it. He's sending a very rapidly uh, contagious form of corona that's relatively easy to handle. Obviously, there are cases of people that are very compromised that it's, it's more severe, but on the whole, the children and the teenagers and, and whoever is getting it are getting it in a fairly mild uh, manner on the whole. Um, but perhaps this is Hashem's way of spreading it throughout the whole world in an easy way and then achieving this herd immunity that we hear so much about, amidst Hashem. But it's challenging times. It's definitely challenging times. We're coming back again into 
into the into the fire, as it were, and we have to go home again, and we have to then deal with all of the challenges and the struggles that we have when we're away from yeshiva, and you know, and all that it entails, and we know that it wasn't easy the first time around at all, and and I'm sure it's not going to be easier this time. But the one encouraging message that we have and that the rest of the world might not have is that we're Klal Yisrael and we're Maminim B'nai Maminim. We have a very strong DNA in terms of Emunah B'tachana Kedosh We don't know what the end is going to be. We don't know where it's going and how it's going to affect anything in our lives. But one thing is for sure that when, when the going gets tough, then a Yid never gives up hope. A Yid is a survivor, a Yid is a, is a Maimon, a Yid has to constantly um, not only maintain his Amuna, but strengthen his Amuna when things get tougher. And that's what we do. And that's how we roll, that's how we survive. A Yid didn't survive thousands of years of this Gullus, and if you know anything about history, whatever country it was, the terrible, terrible ordeals and the and 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 the uh, the oppression and the and all that we went through as a nation, as individuals, uh, no other nation could survive this. It wouldn't be didn't, what they've gone through. Other nations wouldn't be able to put up with it for a minute, and and they would quickly throw in the towel. But Klal Yisrael gets stronger. It's it's the miracle of the Jewish people. This is what Rabbi Yaakov Emden famously writes, that to me, if you would ask me, what's the biggest miracle in Jewish history? If you would ask, right, what, what would be the answer? If you would be asked, okay, what was the biggest miracle ever? It's like, Maimon Arsinai, Kriyas Yamsuf, uh, the Eser Makas, uh, whatever, you'd come up with some, some of these great answers, and they'd all be great. But, says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, if somebody would ask me what the greatest miracle of, the, of world history is, more than Kriyas Yamsuf, more than Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, more than all of the things that we went through in the Midbar, and all the miracles, the Mon and the Be'er, and all these amazing supernatural things that Klai Yisrael witnessed on a daily basis, more than them is the survival of the Jewish people, the fact that we're still here after all that we've gone through. He says, and the longer the Gullus continues, the more the miracle gets greater. We're a miracle. We are a miracle. The fact that we're still here and we're strong and we're, we're, we're thriving, Klal Yisrael and, and, and Eretz Yisrael and in America and in Europe and in Canada and all over, how the yeshivas, the Beis Yaakovs, the Kailim, how much Torah we're learning, it's, it's, beyond, it's beyond human comprehension, this miracle. COVID is, is, is a big deal. It really, really is. And, you know, it's, it's, people are struggling financially because of COVID. People are struggling emotionally. Uh, you know, if we're going to have to go into, into, you know, into these seclusions again and into uh, Bidud, it's, 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 it has really very bad ramifications on so many levels. And there's no way of, of making that easier. It is what it is. But the one thing that we have and the one thing that we have to understand that we need to constantly fall back on is our Amun and Hashem. 
It's just a basic emunah pshuta. I trust in you. I believe in you. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not going to say, why are you doing this to me? How could you do this to me? How could you, you know, I, I, I needed to be back normal and now I'm... There's a cheshman. I don't know the cheshman. And anyone that tells you what the cheshman is probably doesn't know what he's talking about or she's talking about because, you know, the Chavetz Chaim used to say a, a great line or they, at least they say it in his name that, that about when Mashiach is going to come, he used to say that those who know, they don't say. And those who say, they don't know. And I think that's a rule of thumb that's true with, with these types of things. Anyone that says, I know why Corona happens, because of uh, women are wearing uh, lace front shaitals, or because people are, uh, are talking in davening, or because of this or because of that, I would venture to say to them that you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. It might be, but it might not be. How do you know? Unless, unless Reb Chaim Kanievsky himself says it, I wouldn't believe it. But what I would believe is if a person would say, I don't know why this is happening, I have no idea, and it's very hard for us to deal with, and it's, it's, it's frustrating to deal with, and it's something we don't want to do again. We don't want to go back to 2020 again. We thought we were out of the woods. We wanted to make normal simchas again. We wanted to no- learn normally in yeshiva again. We wanted to go into our shuls again. We don't want to go back. Nobody does. And hopefully we won't have to. But if we do have to, we have to understand that it's the ruts in Hashem for whatever reason. We don't understand His ways. But maybe someday we will. But until we fully understand, we have to go through life with our strong emuna. And the more difficult the times might become, the more our emuna has to shine and strengthen and harden. Because that's what a yid is. And I don't know if this is the last shmuz of this man in person. Maybe we'll get to next week. Who knows? Maybe we'll zoom. Maybe we won't have any uh, shmuz in next week. We'll see. But if this is the, the final shmuz of this man, which I hope it's not, but if it is, then that's the greatest message that I could convey to you and to me and to everybody listening, is that we have to, at this time especially, not get weakened in our amuna, not start getting weak need, and not really fully knowing, should I, shouldn't I believe, this is the time to strengthen our amuna. It's the only thing that could get us through this is our amun and Hashem, davening to Hashem, learning, never stopping our strong faith and belief in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashkach HaPratis, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything that's happening. We have to believe that. Every single person in the world is being orchestrated by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yeah, COVID, no COVID, social distancing, not whatever it is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is aware of it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, has a reason for it. And we have to just be makabalit. And we have to accept it and know that there's a, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu in His infinite wisdom has our best in mind. And we are strong in our amuna. We are strong in our amuna, and we love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We believe in Him simply. Not because of any cheshman, it's just because He's our God and we believe in Him. And, we, and like a father that always has what's best in mind for his child, that's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is at all times. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us, He cares about us, and He has a reason for doing this. And amidst Hashem, we should all have a, a wonderful Shabbos, and if we're going home, or if we're already home, we should, uh, we should make...
proper gedarm for ourselves and be uh, be strong and ma- maintain our starim and come to the Zoom shiurim and chavrusas and all that's going to be availed of us, you know, over over uh, virtually and uh, from yeshiva, but more than that. If you have ability to make more chavrusas on the phone beyond the shirim and beyond the and during ben azmanim, then you should do that because all of these things are so important to maintain our strength and our 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 health and our normalcy and our faith and our kesher to the rabbi Shalom. Uh, the great rabbi Nachum Zemba used to say that kesher elyon dairaisa. Kesher and Dairaisa is a halachic term that means that the top knot of our tzitzis is, is minatayra. The rest is the rabbanon, but the, the very first knot of the, of the four knots of our tzitzis is Dairaisa. So he used to homiletically say that Kesher Elyon, the strength, the, the, the knot, the ties, the, the bonds that we have with the Rabbi Shalom is what? Dairaisa. It's the Taira. The Taira is the way that we connect to the Rabbi Shalom. The more tired that we're able to learn and immerse ourselves in, even at home and even in uh, in quarantine, the more tired that we're able to tap into, the closer we'll get to the Rebbe Nisham. The closer we get to the Rebbe Nisham, the more we'll remember how he loves us, how he's in charge, and how he has our best in mind. Our Amuna will stay stronger the more we learn and the more we, of course, daven. And amidst Hashem, we look forward to having everybody back again in Yeshiva, hopefully uh, at the beginning of uh, the next man. And in- until then, I want to wish you a good Shabbos and, uh, and a wonderful end of this man and a wonderful Bein Azmanim and, uh, and extend how much we love you, how, how proud we are of you here in Yeshiva and the Mitzvah Hashem, the Kesher that we have should also be an eternal one.